Greetings, church and uh, friends of the church. Uh, this is the next episode in a series of reflections about how we can more deeply understand ourselves, uh, one another, the world around us, what a good life really looks like. Um, as we are in this um, wilderness place, this place where we're disconnected from what we used to know as normal, and we're not at a new normal yet, and so we're not monopolized by just going through the motions blindly too often um, of life, and we have more of an imagination, more room for a creative look. Um, we have more of an opportunity to be, become uh, more deeply self-aware um, and constructing an idea or a vision for a better way to live together in community. Um, in this series, we've reflected on a posture that we take in the wilderness, assumptions we make about ourselves, our natural tendencies and temptations that have evolved within us all, the need for a spirituality that counteracts these physical forces, and we've also been considering uh, the isms that plague us, these manifestations of these natural tendencies and temptations to self-focus and self-preserve as they present themselves in our life together as a connected people. So in this episode, we consider um, the realities, the dangers, the constant distraction of materialism and consumerism, which are perhaps the most culturally accepted, condoned, and celebrated of isms in our life together in our society. If we aren't intentional, we can, we can live with an unchecked assumption that these forces are benign, if not purely positive. And in that assumption, we fail to see how they are very much fueled by these same animalistic, self-protecting tendencies within all of us as hum human beings, and how they're part of this spider web of destruction and dysfunction with antagonism, dogmatism, cultism, politicism, exceptionalism, colonialism, systemic racism, and rugged individualism, which we've considered in previous episodes. These forces that break down our social bond, uh, that break down peace and justice. So materialism is that tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than non-material or spiritual values. And consumerism is this preoccupation that we have as a society with the acquisition of consumer goods. Now, it isn't bad or unspiritual to have a deep desire for shelter, for food, clothing, transportation. It's, it's not bad or unspiritual to have a deep affinity for or connection to particular uh, possessions or goods like family heirlooms. Um, these are healthy expressions or results of those mechanisms that are hardwired within all of us to have a safe place to live and to have a meaningful sense of belonging and connection to a family tribe. But we know that our relationship with stuff isn't just this healthy search for those goods that meet our basic needs for safety, comfort, and well-being. But our relationship with stuff is about an unhealthy and inappropriate conquest for more and more, as if the goal in life 
was um, not just to, to meet our basic needs, but to constantly acquire. We get into trouble when these tendencies that have evolved within us take over. They go unchecked. When we are tricked into fearing that what we have isn't enough and that we will not be able to provide for ourselves or a family or we won't have enough to retire if we don't constantly acquire more. We get into trouble when we fear that if someone else has more than us, that we are at a disadvantage and we must find a way to seek more wealth and goods than them. That's that fight mechanism. The tendency to assume negatively about others as though they're competition in this race to have the advantage. We get into trouble when that tribal tendency triggers the fear that if we can't acquire and consume the right goods, then we won't belong to the tribe. In the, in the sixth grade, I feared that if I didn't have Puma Nubuck sneakers and Umbro shorts, that I would be a social outcast, that I wouldn't fit into the sixth grade American tribe. As adults, we fear that if we don't have the right house, cars, clothing, technology, membership to the club, etc., 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 that we will be social outcasts. And there is something deep within us, part of this legacy of our evolution that fears being cast away from the tribe. We are programmed to feel safer and more powerful if we fit in. And so we get into trouble when these fears trigger these tendencies in our brain that we've considered. Um, and we fall to those natural human temptations, the temptations to do whatever we have to do for the sake of the self, to seek the advantage of power and wealth over others, to create a misguided God image that reinforces our fearful and self-focused life rather than revealing to us the true life. In the midst of our nation's rise to being this wealthiest nation ever, it's no surprise that there, the, this false and dangerous prosperity gospel has also grown in parallel. This misconception that financial prosperity is a reward from God for good behavior and that it is God's will for the wealthy to be wealthy and therefore that being poor is a punishment of God for bad behavior. That's, that's theological garbage, but it's everywhere because it's reassuring to our preconceptions that, um, that we have adopted out of this culture of materialism and consumerism. These tendencies and temptations nurture the materialism, distrusting others and putting uh, our trust in material things and the money that can buy it rather than putting our trust in a more spiritual view of life, which means that we can trust in others, um, knowing that there are collaborators in a common life of good rather than our competition, and that we can trust that there's enough in the world for all, um, enough for everyone to have shelter, warmth, food, meaningful work, and belonging. And so these tendencies and temptations also nurture consumerism, this preoccupation the narrow and single-minded focus on acquiring and consuming in these lives of constantly trying to get more for the self to assuage these fears. We live these lives critiqued by fictional character Tyler Durden in Fight Club. 
who said, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have in order to impress people we don't like. Or as one blogger wrote, we spend the first two-thirds of our lives acquiring stuff that doesn't matter, only so that we can spend the last third getting rid of it. What a stupid game of consumerism we Americans play. The average American home has more than 300,000 different items in it. The average child owns almost 250 toys, yet only plays with a dozen in a given day. Our homes have more televisions than people. We throw away an average of 65 pounds of clothing every year per person. We spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on higher education, even as we lament this very real crisis of crippling student debt. Americans do give about $400 billion a year to charity, but they spend more than three times that much, more than $1.2 trillion on non-essential goods, That's things we don't need. Further, even though uh, the average size of the American home has tripled over the last 50 years, that's not enough room for all of our stuff. One in 10 Americans needs a rented storage unit, and there are more than 50,000 of these facilities in America. Five, that's five times the number of storage facilities than Starbucks, and those are everywhere. There is enough rental storage space for every American to have eight square feet of space, which means that every single American could fit at the same time under the collective roof of self-storage. Now, I'm, I'm guilty in this. We don't have a storage unit right now. We have had them before when we've moved, but I have too many clothes. And I've bought many of them for, for reasons that are other than I need them. I have too many books. And if I'm honest, these are these in my life have been more about fitting in than they are about necessity. I have too many shoes. I have too many jackets. We have more space at home than we need. I, I am not innocent in this. I'm, I'm preaching to myself here before anybody else. Let's talk about money, too. Money represents the capacity to acquire material goods and consume things for the self. The more money we have, the more we can acquire. The more we can act on that preoccupation to consume, consume, consume. If we're living with this fear-driven desire to ensure our own safety and security and belonging by seeking more and more money for the self, if we fall to that temptation to seek power and authority and advantage over others by storing up more money than them, so that I'm safer, more powerful, have more capacity and more leverage, then I will constantly be preoccupied with the pursuit of more money. And no matter how much I have, I will always fear that it's not enough and live as though I need more. America is home to almost 800 billionaires, which is up more than 10% this year, even amidst the pandemic. While most Americans have seen their financial struggles increase this year, the 400 most wealthy people in America have followed their materialist consumerist impulses to becoming as wealthy as the poorest two-thirds of the American population. 400 individuals in our country have the same amount of wealth as the bottom 215 million Americans combined. A simple calculation revealing how much a billion dollars actually is, 
is that if you had a billion dollars and you spent $25,000 every single day without fail, it would take you nearly 110 years to spend that billion dollars. $25,000 a day for 110 years. But it isn't that simple because there's interest. So if we assume a 6% interest return on a billion dollars invested in the market, even assuming some taxes paid on capital gains, which isn't always a safe assumption, $25,000 per day in spending doesn't even begin to deplete the capital. You would have to spend more than $150,000 each day, $4 million a month, in order to spend at the same rate that your principal is generating more money. And if you made enough in salary and profit, uh, other benefits so that you didn't have to actually spend any of that first billion dollars, it would accumulate to $4 billion within 25 years. The wealthiest person in the world is Amazon's Jeff Bezos, whose wealth is now approaching $200 billion. With interest and taxes, Jeff Bezos could spend $800 million each month, $26 million daily, only on his interest earnings, never spending down any of the $200 billion in principal wealth. This is the guy who said that what consumerism really is at its worst is getting people to buy things that don't actually improve their lives. And I'm guilty here too. I lament many a late night Amazon purchase. Amazon boxes out in the recycle bin and my life none the better because of what was in it. This is an extreme example of these isms that plague all of us, even though we're not all Jeff Bezos. We put our trust in money and material goods that we can buy and consume with our money. We tend to see each other as competing for finite resources, and so we assume negatively about one another and fight for these resources by racing to earn and consume faster than each other. We fear not belonging to the American tribe. And so we are quick and willing to assume these norms of consumption in our lives to join in this race of materialism so that we aren't seen as some kind of hippie freak who becomes the neighborhood social outcast because it's scary to not fit in. This all is driven by our fears, triggering these tendencies and temptations within us. And so the way to break the cycle the way to counteract the forces of materialism and consumerism is to allow a different voice to tell us who we are. In this series, I'm making the key claim that we need a different voice telling us who we are than our fears and our self-protecting tendencies and temptations. We need a golden rule spirituality to speak louder than these tendencies. I have found this voice of golden rule spirituality in the tradition of Christian spirituality, which I will clarify is not the garbage that these so-called Christian leaders are peddling as Christianity when they are selling a prosperity gospel and they are asking you for all your money because they promise you God's favor. That is theological garbage. Wealth and prosperity are not divine blessings, nor is Poverty, a divine punishment. 
Jesus sought to dispel that myth of cause and effect, instead nurturing an understanding of God that acknowledged God to be the mysterious creator and sustainer of all of creation, who has loaded this creation with the potential to provide in fruitful ways for all the sake of all creatures who live upon it. Jesus acknowledged that God sends the rains and the sun, signs of these natural rhythms that lead to an abundance of growth and food and sustenance in our world, that God sends these things upon all people unconditionally. Jesus sought to teach the world, don't store up earthly treasures that rust can destroy. And when he says the word rust in, in the Greek language, it's, it's more literally translated as the word for eating. It's, it's used to describe food being eaten. It's also used metaphorically and literally to describe metal being eaten by corrosion or wood being eaten by decay and rot. In this race of materialism and consumerism that we were all born into, it is so tempting to store up for ourselves things that rust and decay can destroy. The coins, the cars, the homes, the home goods, the books, the, the gadgets, the toys, the clothes, all of which corrode, decay, or someday become irrelevant and discarded. And so Jesus invites the world, store up instead heavenly treasures that moth and rust cannot destroy. Store up as many loving relationships as possible. Store up an abundance of joy that can never be found in buying what we don't have, but is always found in being grateful for that which we already have. Store up as much peace as we are able to nurture among one another and in our community. Store up memories of acting kindly and generously unto others out from empathy, compassion, and love for one another. No moth or rust can eat and destroy these. These are the treasures that last. These are the treasures that truly make the heart glad and make life worth living. So Jesus also taught, stop striving for what you're to eat and what you're to drink and, 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 and stop worrying. And the word translated here as worrying more literally means to be torn and divided into pieces. It's, it's, it's the invitation of Jesus to not allow this, the, the focus or intentionality of our living to be torn and divided by our concerns for the future someday. If we are torn in this way, we're more prone to the temptation to live in self-focused ways for the sake of someday, storing up and accumulating more and more with a fear that we will never have enough to keep us safe, comfortable, and fitting in in every contingency. And when we live that way, we are, we, are, we are torn away in our focus from the present. We miss the gifts and the goodness that are here. We miss the sense of having enough in the here and now. We miss the opportunity to live in ways for the sake of others, out from our abundance, out from those places where we have more than enough and we have enough to share. Jesus warned us, we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and wealth. To serve God doesn't mean to go to church, to be the right kind of religious, to say the right kind of prayers, to obey the right kind of rules, to hate the people you're supposed to hate. Um, any other misguided 
legalistic or institutional interpretation of what it means to serve God. Rather, what it means to serve God is to commit the days of our lives to the purposes of God rather than the purposes of the self. Purposes of God, which we understand to be the nurture of peace, justice, community, and a common good among all people. We have to make that choice intentionally. We have to choose whether we live in service of God's will of peace and justice and the well-being of all people by our concern for and our acts of love for neighbor because that's what this non-animalistic and spiritual voice within us tells us about who we are, who we truly and really are. Or if we will live in service of our own desires, listening to those self-serving animalistic voices within us telling us to fight, to self-elevate, to seek power and advantage over others uh, through our lives of materialism and consumerism. We cannot do both. Every dollar that the billionaire will never be able to spend and just sits in a bank somewhere generating even more money that he can't spend is a dollar that's not being directed in service of peace and justice and with love for neighbor to those who need that dollar in order to have the basics of shelter and food. As Pope Francis wrote, consumerism has accustomed us to waste. Throwing uh, food away is like stealing it from the poor and the hungry. And as contemporary prophet Russell Brand said, we continue to be spilled on by consumerism, even though we know it doesn't make us happy. Just because we are accustomed to these lives of materialism and consumerism doesn't make them good and right. Just because we've learned to blind ourselves from the ways that our excess consumption and wealth is directly connected to the lack and poverty of others doesn't mean that it isn't still there. And just because we think that we can buy and consume our way to happiness and meaning doesn't make it true. When a rich young man came to Jesus because he knew that something was missing in his life, even though he had acquired all this wealth, had acquired all this social capital and authority by his obedience to the legalistic religious laws, Jesus, in, in seeking to help him to get out of that empty and disappointing race of materialism and consumerism, told him that what he was truly missing in his search for living the good and true life was selling his extraneous possessions and donating the proceeds for the sake of the poor. His materialism and consumerism were not delivering on their promise to provide a trustworthy and rewarding life. Instead, they were compromising his life, leaving him empty and missing. The key to a good, true, fulfilling, and meaningful life was not to further commit himself to what was good for him, but instead to look around and to become aware of those neighbors in the world around him who were lacking life's basics, lacking justice, lacking peace, and to do for them what he would want them to do for him if the roles were reversed. I've come to believe um, deep within these bones of mine that the only way that things like money, material goods, food, and these millions of other things that we are always racing to acquire or consume, the only way that they lead us to a sense of the good life, the rewarding and the joyful life, the life that doesn't constantly seem like it's empty or missing something critical, is not when we're using or offering or investing these things for the sake of our own selves 
but instead when our money, our goods, our food, and, and everything else that we have available to us are used with love of neighbor in order to do something for them, what we would want them to do for us. If you want to trade the fear of belonging for a sense of connected community, don't buy the it clothes that are infinitely more expensive for no good reason. Instead, give some clothes to those who need them. Don't spend an unreasonable amount of money on food and drink somewhere that makes you feel uh, rich and powerful and worthy of society's admiration. Instead, give some food to a local pantry for the sake of those who are hungry. Don't put more and more money away for the sake of someday without any concern for others in the world around you. Instead, make sure that you have what you need in the present and what you'll need someday, and then give generously out of the abundance. Prioritize people over stuff. Clean out a closet, drop off some food, write a generous check. Start to break the grip that materialism and consumerism have on your life. Seek to use your time and your resources to do unto others what you would want them to do for you. This is how we truly nurture and discover a deep sense of belonging to one another in community, not by consuming alike so that we all fit in because we have the same stupid shoes or we have the same size house or we have the same cars or whatever, but as we live for the sake of one another and for the sake of the common good, as we are different in what we have and what we're able to offer, but we share it in common, that's where true community comes from. That's when we know that we belong and we don't have to fear. This is a sense of real community that instills trust and hope rather than that fear and self-preservation that we always feel when it's false community. The race of materialism and consumerism is leading us down a dangerous and unjust road that not only can't deliver its promises to us as individuals, but also leads us to this place where the rich are getting richer materially, but poorer in spirit, and upon which the poor are getting poorer in both. The remedy is not found in the cause. Our better future will not be found in more of the same materialism and consumerism. That will never make for happiness, justice, or peace. The success of our future will not be measured by what the stock market numbers say about the wealthiest among us, but will be measured by how much compassion and generosity that we all offer to one another, regardless of who we are. We can do better. And that future will be nurtured and realized by spiritual commitment to do for each other as we would want them to do for us. And if we can start to loosen the grip that materialism and consumerism have upon us, we will see each other more clearly. We will be more content with what we have. And we will discover more joy and more life in the ways that we are giving rather than receiving. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask if you have to go out. Be well.
and peace to all.